At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. So Tim DeStacio has been on the podcast a couple of times talking about business and a few other things. Now, he's having a house built, but he's taking the HVAC system and some of the building envelope into his own hands and implementing what he's learned through his journey of building science, basically, is what it is. And He's going to implement some of that stuff to create an envelope and an HVAC system that provides true comfort. You're going to want to listen to this one, find out what he's up to, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by Master Group, and these guys are on a mission to expand. It's incredible. They're all over Canada. Now they're moving into the U.S. They just bought up Refrigeration Sales Corp based out of Ohio. So guys in the U.S., look for Master to move in and and provide you some HVAC services. Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas, massive player in the game for the blue collar industry when it comes to uniforms. We have a landing page, guys, for you guys to check out with all kinds of solutions on there for your team and uniforms that they might want to wear. It's always important to involve your team into the the type of uniforms that you're selecting for them so they feel comfortable and they don't feel like the uniforms are not fitting properly. And and it's, it's, trust me, when your team doesn't like what they're wearing to work, it's it's important, right? It's, it's an important aspect. So check out Cintas.com forward slash HVAC Know-It-All. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, Tim, we are back. You're on the podcast again. This is maybe your third time <laughs> yep. talking to me on, on the show. And every time you're on, you have such great insights into the industry. Uh, last time we talked, we talked about business ownership and you mm-hmm. were selling your business. And now you have a new uh, story to tell because you have a new journey. And I think the the new journey is cool because you're getting into what I think you think you're passionate about is is the whole building science uh, the envelope and how hvac and the envelope all intertwine together to create one solid uh building with good indoor air quality do you want to maybe touch on that for a second and we'll get into the home you're building and what you're going to implement to create that indoor air quality that you want in your home yeah so i sold my business about a year ago and i i had a one-year commitment to kind of transition things uh and that ended uh, last week and when i had my business um back in greensboro it i was trying to focus on in, implementing building science and hvac service but i was building a company i was also do also doing commercial and industrial work 
Um, I was an employer. I was handling all that stuff. And it just, all those other things distracted me from the path that I really wanted to take. And mm-hmm. so I think the first time I was on your podcast, it was, we were sort of touching on how to be a comfort consultant. But I look back then, it was like, man, I really had not um, had the time to get the knowledge that I needed in order to really be a good resource for that. So um, my plan is now that I'm, um, I've sold the business. I've moved to the coast, uh, which has its own comfort challenges uh, with humidity and, and other things. Yeah, that I'm I've opened up a a new LLC. It's called Comfort Science Solutions LLC, and it's just going to be a one man um, consulting company that I'm going to focus on diagnosing comfort problems while also including building science because that's intrinsic in the comfort diagnosis. Um, process. And uh, at the same time, I'll be focusing on training uh, contractors, technicians that want to learn more. So I have a lot to learn. I am not by any means an expert. I've got a whole list. uh, Maybe later on, we'll touch on some names of people if you want to follow their content too. That's who I'm following to learn. Um, But I am not an expert, but I am going to go through the learning process and I'm going to share that process with whoever's willing to listen. And do you know I want to tell you something because we talked the first time you're on the podcast, we discussed sort of the, 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 the consulting side of what you do. And mm-hmm. that moved into more of the, the building science. Cause we discussed blower door testing and all yep. that. And, and I want to give you credit for intriguing me and inspiring me to look deeper into the subject. Because after you were on, I had a, a bunch of people on yep. in that realm of things. Like I had uh, Allison Bales. I had, um, yep. Nate I Adams. had Alex, Alex Meany, Nate mm-hmm. Adams. Uh, yep. I had a bunch of people in that space that are all very, very, I, I guess we can use the term nerdy because really that's, that's what it is. If you, right. it, it doesn't mean to say that you, you wear glasses taped and you got a pocket protector. <laughs> it just means that you're very passionate about deep diving into the subject to learn yeah. as much as possible. That's, yep. that's what a nerd is to me anyway. So, yep. I mean, we're, we're here to talk about something you're, you're building a home and the knowledge that you've incurred and the knowledge that you're going to go out and, and continue to, um, to get is going to help you build this house to have peak performance, building performance. And that goes as far as the envelope and as far as the HVAC systems within inside that building. So do you want to maybe start and talk about this, this build that you're putting together and, and kind of the route you're taking at this moment? Yeah. So my goal was not to build an all out house that uh, was going to implement every possible means of building science. First of all, I didn't have the budget for that. Um, my wife and I are trying to keep our expenses low. We're trying to use what we got from the sale of the business to try to have as low of a mortgage as possible. But I also didn't want a house that was built to code because codes essentially suck. I mean, a house built to code now is a lot better, of course, than it was 20 years ago. And compared to a house 20 years ago, a house built to code, if it's actually built to code, can kind of be considered a high-performance house because codes are now finally addressing uh, mm-hmm. the building envelope in a better way. But a house built to code still just, I could not bring myself to do that. Uh, and so I wanted to make a few reasonable uh, measures of 
building performance and and put those into my house and and I had to do some research to figure out okay if I wanted to spend an extra 30 grand on the house that I'm building where would those where would that 30 grand be best spent um, and every house is going to have different priorities a house where you're at with extremely cold winters is going to have different priorities than the house where I'm at where the winters are very mild the winter is only about four months long um, but we have huge extended periods of high humidity events um, and so I'm going to have different priorities than you were if you were trying to do the same thing so what I settled on um, was really making sure that the building envelope was tight and the reason why air tightness is so important is uh, several things humidity is going to find its way into that house from the outside. And I live in a very humid environment. I'm going to be about 10 miles off the Cape Fear River, and that's right where the Cape Fear dumps into the Atlantic. So I don't want the Atlantic Ocean coming into my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so envelope tightness is huge. Insulation was not as big of, of a, especially wall insulation, attic insulation, not as big of a deal because our summers are in the low to mid nineties. That's our design temperature uh, from ASHRAE and our winters, our design temperature is only, I think it's in the mid to high twenties. And again, it's a very short winter. So insulation more helps you in that sensible heating and cooling range. And there's just not a big enough temperature difference between indoor and outdoors that I, I wanted to concentrate on making that house uh, more insulated. We're going to insulate it to code and a little bit better to code. Um, But the main thing that I wanted to do also is get my ducts out of the vented attic because here a lot of the houses are on slabs and raised slabs, uh, which is a great thing when you've got hurricanes coming because you don't want a crawl space or a basement that's going to flood in the Mm -hmm. event of a hurricane. So slabs prevent that. Uh, Our house is going to be in a raised slab, so we're going to be up off the ground in case we do get a lot of rain in a short period of time. Um, So you can't put ducks there. So the only other... Uh, option on a standard uh, built house that a, a, a production builder would build is in the attic. And I did not want to put my ducks in a vented 150 degree attic here in the South. It's just, that was, you talk to anybody in building science and that's just something you want to avoid doing. So the two things that I settled on that I was going to spend my money on was going to be, um, spray foaming the attic and so we're now including the attic in the building envelope or the enclosure Uh, the attic is considered some it depends on who you talk to some people consider it part of the conditioned space some Mm -hmm. people consider it a semi-conditioned space because you're not um, depending on what strategy you use you're not actually dumping air conditioning into the attic it's sort of benefiting indirectly from the air conditioning that you're putting down below so spray foam attic, the, the roof deck is going to have open cell spray foam on it, and there's no insulation on the top of the ceiling sheetrock. So um, you could see exactly you know where you're stepping if you're walking around the attic. So that was one thing. Um, what that does is it allows me to have a lot cooler of an attic, and so my ducts are not absorbing all that heat. Um, so actually, you can insulate your ducts with R4 um, insulation because the only thing you're worried about is condensation at that point. Um, yeah, the temperature of the attic is only about five degrees warmer than the temperature of the rest of the house. Uh, the other thing that I decided to do, and I was doing a lot of research and listening to a lot of building, um, performance podcasts is I wanted to use what we call a uh, zip system sheathing on the, on the exterior walls. And so zip is a product from Huber Woods, 
Um, and it is a sheathing that also has a weather resistant barrier that is integrated on it. Uh, so you can kind of think of it like a, a waterproof barrier. Um, and so that OSB sheathing with that barrier on there, the seams are taped with their product. They have a product, a okay. tape that works exactly with the zip system and it makes for a very airtight, um, enclosure. Now you still have to seal your penetrations. You still have to seal where the sheathing meets the, the attic because you know, the spray foam needs to be able to seal that, that connection at the top of the, the wall. So there are other things you got to do, but the envelope at that point is, is really sealed. Um, and I've seen where people have been able to get some really good performance numbers out of that. So air tightness was my biggest concern when building my house. Um, and that I put that above everything else because air tightness really has to do with humidity control, even indoor air quality, and obviously energy efficiency. Uh, there's a yeah. benefit there, and 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 there's something there. There's there's an underlying thing there that a lot of techs, because uh, I've always been the I've always been the 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 guy that says let's ban equipment in attics yeah. if we can. But the yeah. alternative to that is is saying what you just said is making the attic almost a part of the conditioned space. So yep. when the tech is up there in the middle of the summer, they're, they're not, you know, you know what I mean? They're not in jeopardy of, right. of, of any, of, of any safety factors because yeah. it's not safe to work in a 150 degree attic. It's just, it's not, it, it doesn't right. matter what people say. And, and I've gone out and said, I think attic should be banned. And I get these boneheaded comments like you're, yeah, you're not a man. And unless you can work in an attic at 150 degrees, I'm like, why does that make you a man? Because right. <laughs> you go in the attic and you work there all day and you come out probably dehydrated, feeling yeah. like a bag of shit. Like th there's, there's so many factors involved. Uh, why I say attics should be, I've been in attics, not a, not a right. lot, but I've been right. in them and, and it's disgusting up there. You come down itchy, you, you're, you don't like it, the, the you, it's, if it's humid, if it's a humid day, you're up there and you're, you're sweating buckets, your clothes yeah. are stuck to you. Yeah. I mean, so making, making it part of the conditioned space is a step forward, right? A hundred percent it is. But I want to ask you this. Did you consider not going forced air in your home and doing like maybe like a, a zone ductless system. Did you consider that at all? I did. Um, my wife and I discussed it um, at a great length. We have a lot of in this. Um, so let me back up. The, the house that we're building is a standard um, model house that a builder that we found here locally in Southport builds. Now he is a and I hate to use the word production builder because it comes at such a, um, they have such a poor reputation. He's a local builder who builds, he has a production style process, but he's not like this track home builder that builds okay. absolute garbage. We we really appreciate the quality of, of his uh, build, but he builds standard houses. He builds about 10 different models. And so he's really good at those. Well, the model that we really liked has a lot of angled ceilings, like what's behind mm -hmm. me, you know, has a lot of okay. uh, cathedral ceilings. And so really that took away any kind of ceiling cassette um, possibility. And then my wife and I really discussed the aesthetics of the wall um, wall units. And we just decided, you know, we, we're just not really happy about that. And then, of course, Mitsubishi, which would be the only, um, when you're talking about a multi-split, that was really the only system that I'm familiar enough with where I'd, I'd be comfortable installing it in my own house. They do have a baseboard looking unit, but in my market, you just don't see baseboards or radiators. And so it would just kind of, again, the aesthetics just kind of looks a little funny. And, and uh, yeah. my wife, uh, my, my wife 
pretty much told me, no, that's, that's a non, that, that, that ain't, that dog won't hunt. <laughs> so, and well, I agree with yeah. her, you know, I, we, we made could, that decision together. Yeah. Yeah. I could see my wife putting the kibosh on duckless too, because of yeah. the way it looks. I, yeah. I totally, I totally get that. So, I mean, it makes sense for you. So yeah, yeah. duck, duckless is out. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, the forced air thing, I mean, are you going to be going through, well, I, I shouldn't, say are you because i know you are you're going to be going through all the the, the proper load calcs uh, duck design right. calculations you're going to be going through all those steps to make sure everything is properly designed and running yes. efficiently when you're done right yeah i've actually already done the uh, load calculation using right soft on um, my computer and i've ran through and this would help me make those decisions on what i was going to spend my money on to upgrade the envelope because you could spend money on upgrading windows um you can do all, all kinds of stuff but where's the payback uh and so i've already modeled this house on right soft and with a couple of clicks i can change it from a vented attic to a spray foam attic with a couple clicks i can say okay i'm going to go from double pane uh up to code windows to something crazy like triple pane and i mm -hmm. can see what the impact is on the load and that's how i settled on the decision of where the biggest bang for the buck was uh and it's it's not windows i mean i, I it cracks me up these window commercials say 40 percent on your energy bill on a typical house built to code and, and a typical house that doesn't have a bunch of south facing glass, um, windows are about five to 10% of your heat load. And mm -hmm. so you're saving 40% on a 10% piece of the pie. So you're really only saving 4% on, on a typical house. Of course, window companies don't tell you that. So again, we went back to making sure that what the envelope is tight and keeping our ducks out of the attic. That gave me the biggest bang for the buck uh, load calculation wise. So doing that kind of, um, it saved about half a ton off a 1600 square foot house doing that alone. So I was up, in fact, a little bit more than half a ton. I was up about 3.2 tons and now I'm down right at two and a half tons for that 1600 square foot house. So not super energy efficient. I'm not building a passive house. I don't have the budget for it, but mm -hmm. I think that'll be, you gotta give some people some nice ideas on what they can do within reason, within a budget to just make their house perform a little bit better than what normally would if it was just built to code. Yeah. And okay. So you, you've said tight a lot of times, tight envelope mm -hmm. and, and I get that a hundred percent, but with a tight envelope, we need to have ventilation. Absolutely. Right. And, and we need to monitor that because with tight, with a tight on envelope, I mean, CO2 is going to build up really, yep. really quickly uh, and without ventilation. And that, that's right. a big one because CO2, I mean, if, if the people listening aren't aware, I mean, the, the, the levels get over a thousand PPM, 1100, mm -hmm. 1200 PPM, you start to get headaches, yep. uh, potential dizziness, nausea, mm -hmm. feeling tired and sluggish. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, outdoors is, is around 400 PPM mm -hmm. around yep. in most places. So in my house, I'm about 750 ish with, with mm -hmm. my HRV running mm -hmm. on, um, medium speed, I believe it is. And mm -hmm. even down to 500 if it's running on high speed. So what are you doing for ventilation? And the other thing mm -hmm. that I'm going to add on top of that is because you're in a humid climate, you're bringing in ventilation, 
but you're going to bring in humid air into the to the home. So how are you dealing with both of those aspects? Yeah, that is a huge problem um, and a huge challenge in in any green grass climate, and even in, in your climate, Gary. You, you guys have humid days. Um, you just maybe don't have extreme long humid um, months that's just never ending and relentless like we do mm-hmm. down here. So yeah. um, the challenge or the, the problem with the ERV or HRV is that they you do a, a measure of dehumidification with that air exchange, but if the humidity ever gets high in the house, then you don't have a humidity or a moisture difference between the air that you're pulling out and the air that you're bringing in. And so they're very limited in humid climates. Most people that we talk with um, that are in the building science community say ERVs are great. You're probably still going to end up needing a dehumidifier in the house just to get those humidity levels down. And most ERVs and HRV or HRVs don't really tackle um, humidity. ERVs are are designed to to remove some moisture. But Mm -hmm. most of them don't have drain lines. And so how, how much dehumidity, dehumidification are you really expecting it to do if you can't drain it out, if it didn't even come with a drain line? Um, and I've done a house. I've done a complete spray foam house, nothing but mini splits. We put an ERV, and I was listening to the wrong people at the time. And I thought that mini splits did a great job dehumidi- dehumidifying a house, and an ERV was going to do the rest. And I, and I did not build that into my scope of work. And I ended up putting in a dehumidifier for free that first summer because he had 70% humidity and I just, you know, I had to do it. So lesson learned, you don't do that in the house in the South. <laughs> so, and, um, and you yeah. can't, and you can't really dehumidify properly without a form of reheat. I've seen it a, a yeah. ton of times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, all you're going to do is drop the temperature of the home um, right. slowly. Like, uh, and then w- as you drop the temperature in the home, the RH is actually the RH goes up. Yeah, your dew yeah. point goes down, your grains of moisture goes down, but your RH goes up, so it still feels uncomfortable. So, um, to answer your question, I am going to be using a ventilating dehumidifier, and so it is a dehumidifier from Santa Fe Products because I really believe in, in uh, their involvement with the HVAC community. Quick break, guys. So, NDL Industries is a company that makes filter dryers. They make ball valves. They probably make the best refrigeration ball valve in the industry. It's a really, really robust ball valve. Now we're, we're going to be working with them to provide some educational stuff along the way through content on social media. So check them out. They also make ball valves and, and filter dryers that are press ready for rapid locking system as well. And they have a unique product that I, I showed quite some time ago. And what it is, is a filter dryer with some, um, an embedded dye capsule that slowly releases dye into a system for leak checking purposes. And the dye, um, is compatible with Copeland compressors. There, there's a dye that's compatible with Copeland compressors, and that is the dye that they're actually using in that filter dryer. So, I mean, just some cool things to, to check out. We've talked about this before, but the Trade Fox brand by Supco is a brand that was built to showcase technician-invented tools. Now, when a technician invents a tool and they can bring it to market, that is great, and that should be supported if the tool fits your needs and applications. So if you guys are interested in this, you can go to supcotradefox.com and check out the what they have to offer. And, and if you have any ideas, prototypes, you want to submit them, then that is the place you want to do it. So check out TradeFox, supcotradefox.com. And if you're looking for a solution to prevent water from getting into Molex plugs and connectors and stuff like that, Refrigeration Technologies makes a silicone grease that is dielectric that I've used 
in multiple occasions to keep moisture out of Molex plugs and, and other things, even on compressor terminals, or you're not supposed to use it on the actual terminals themselves because it's dielectric, it doesn't pass current, but around the outside of electrical connectors and stuff like that, it prevents water from getting in and it protects your electrical stuff. So that is refrigeration technologies, silicone grease. Um, they, they've really been very helpful and they're always at the trade shows and the, um, you know, the HVAC school I'm connected there. And, and Nikki Kruger is always part of that, that whole circle there. And so they make a great commercial grade dehumidifier that makes several different kinds. Um, so a ventilating dehumidifier is going to mix outdoor air with return air. It's going to dehumidify that air and then it's going to dump it into the space, either in the HVAC ductwork or a dedicated supply. Uh, and that, what I found is in this climate, the, the best way to go. And of course, when you, whenever you bring in outside air and you create a positive ventilation scenario where you're pu putting in outside air, but you're not exhausting it at the same time, you're pressurizing the house. And if the house is tight, then you've got a very slight positive pressure in the house and that's going to push the moisture out of the house instead of giving it a, a place to to, to infiltrate in through, through negative pressure. So there's two benefits to that ventilating dehumidifier. Um, and the other thing that I'm doing is I don't want to ventilate all the time. You only want to ventilate when you need to ventilate. And so what things are we looking for? We're looking for things like CO2, another, um, uh, sort of telltale sign of your CO2 is actually the total VOCs in your house. So mm -hmm. yeah. we, we, as people, we breathe, when we sweat, when we fart, those are all VOCs when we cook. So you can track occupancy in the house with CO2. You can also do it with VOCs. Uh, and so really I only want to ventilate when I need to ventilate. And that's why I'm looking at uh, indoor air quality monitoring. And then that monitor can also make decisions on how to how to uh, improve the the indoor air quality based on what it sees all right so the the whole setup doesn't involve so so the the ventilating dehumidifier does not involve any sort of um exhaust air whatsoever no not in okay. not in my strategy we could i could okay. also have uh, bathroom fans that pull a a constant small cfm and we could balance the house so it's a pressure neutral system the reason why i am not going to do that in my house when i'm making those those recommendations for customers is i like the idea of that positive pressure um, and it's not much, it's not your, not like you're exfiltrating a lot of conditioned air, but you're just keeping that house under a slight positive pressure to prevent moisture from coming in. Okay. Now, are you going to be implementing bathroom fans in like a kitchen range hood and all that for? So that won't be part of my ventilation process for, for indoor air quality. Of course, we'll have a kitchen hood, um, just to be able to, to be like a spot cleaner for when we're cooking. My wife is a really great cook. And so she'll, she'll be cooking a lot. We're going to be removing those VOCs and, um, we're not going to have a, a gas fired, um, range or, or cooktop. It's going to be electric. And so we won't have to worry about the carbon monoxide being produced there, but the, you know, just the, the VOCs and the odors and, and just the, the, the moisture and all the stuff that happens when we cook, uh, we'll have a kitchen hood that'll, that'll remove that. Now, because we're having a very tight house, we're going to interlock that kitchen hood with my outside air damper. So anytime we turn on the kitchen hood, the outside air damper and the HVAC blower will come on to help prevent that house from 
it's sucking into a negative. That's the last thing you want to do is for a house to suck in, into a negative. Because yeah, that all, that was going to yeah. be my second question is is when you're right. if your if your ventilator is not running mm-hmm. and you're exhausting, yep. you could create a negative pressure. At you that absolutely point. could. Yeah, yeah. So so you're just going to open up a damper and then bring in fresh air. Yep. Right. But but if the fresh air you bring in is too humid and 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 your controls are set up to see, oh, it, it's too humid in here mm-hmm. or there's too too high a VOCs in here, then it's going to kick on your um, your ventilator. Right. At that point. Is that how you yeah. set it up? So um, and by ventilator, are you talking about the kitchen ventilator or the. No, or the, I'm no, the, I'm talking about ventilating your, dehum- uh, your de- yeah. ventilating de- yeah, dehumidifier. So let me I guess let me just take about two or three minutes and go through that that process, that sequence of operation. The the ventilating dehumidifier from Santa Fe uh, will has a blower and a MERV 13 filter in it. And I'm going to wire that where that blower runs constantly. So we're always trickling a little bit of air. We're always running it through the, the house and, and we're, we're cleaning up that air via the, the MERV. 13. My air handler is also going to have a large MERV 13 filter that'll act like a supercharged <laughs> air cleaner um, when we need to reduce particulate matter. So the way I'm controlling all this is through the Haven IEQ system. The Haven IEQ has an induct air monitor and it measures humidity, uh, particulate matter, and VOCs. And so when the particulate matter count gets high, uh, then it's going to turn on my HVAC blower and it's going to start pulling air through that big MERV 13 at the air handler. When the VOCs get high, it's going to turn on the air handler, air handler blower and the outside air damper. And we're going to start bringing in fresh air to dilute those VOCs. And anytime that my kitchen hood comes on, I'm also going to have an interlock that will do the same thing. Turn on the blower, open up outside air so that we reduce uh, the the likelihood of of negative pressure. My thermostat will actually control the dehumidifier compressor. Um, So Ecobee makes a great thermostat. And so my plan is to have that um, when the humidity in the house comes up because we're bringing in outside air and that outside air is humid, the thermostat's going to pick it up and it's going to to turn it on. Um, You can also control it with the Haven. And and I may do that also. Um, The Haven looks at induct or relative humidity, which is nice because it's going to catch it before the thermostat catches. It's going to read that that humidity spike while it's still in the duct before it gets to your house. Um, but there, there are just some other reasons why I like to control humidity from, from the thermostat. But either way, uh, you can do that with the Haven system. And so what I like about it is that it monitors indoor air quality, but it also can do something about it. It has a relay pack that can turn stuff on and off to actually react. So you have ventilation on demand instead of constant ventilation. Because if you're gone two weeks, you know, you go to Europe for two weeks, why do you need to ventilate your house? There's nothing in there that's causing, <laughs> there's no people in there. You're not cooking. You're not farting in there. So why would you ventilate a house? Well, that that ventilation on demand controls allows you to, uh, to do that. Yeah. And I think it's important to add that in order for a system like Haven or anything similar to it, in order for it to make decisions, mm-hmm. it has to sample the air. So there has yes. to be airflow going by right. it. So I believe... I believe with the with the controller, um, it turns on the fan for a minute yep. or two every mm-hmm. every once yep. in a while, yep. and it allows that that air to move by it. Because right. anybody that's worked with a sensor in any and any type of sensor, if it's CO two, if it's humidity, if it's temperature, yeah. you need air movement by yes. that sensor. Stale air will make that sensor do weird things right. that it shouldn't be doing. 
So right. air movement is very, very important when it comes to any sort of sensor. Yes, yes, you're, you're exactly. It'll it'll sample the air, and you can set it up for. You'll sample it, you know, five minutes out of an hour just to see what's going on, and um, and that also helps you move a little bit of air through your Merv thirteen to stir things up a little bit. Um, and then the other part of my strategy is I'm going to be using ceiling fans. So I've got a dehumidifier. I've got a, a, a properly sized, aggressively sized air conditioning system, but ceiling fans are also going to be part of my strategy in the summertime to stir up the air. Because the problem is when you start building a really tight, energy efficient house, the amount of airflow that you need to move through the system goes down. Your load goes down, your total CFMs go down. Well, now you're just trickling a little bit of air into the room. And that air doesn't have the throw that a traditional system normally would have, where the Coanda effect kind of helps stir that air around. It hugs the walls, it comes down, or hugs the ceiling, comes down the walls, and it you you lose that when you lose the total amount of airflow. And that's what ceiling fans do, is they stir up the air. They're going to keep things mixed, and they're going to allow the thermostat to see what's, what's actually happening in the whole system. Um, yeah. So that is also going to be part of my strategy. We're going to have really energy-efficient uh, ceiling fans that will run all the time in the, in the summer. And I hope that the result will be I'll be able to set my thermostat around 80 degrees, and I'll have about 45% humidity in the house, and I'll be comfortable. Um, now, we'll see if I can actually achieve that in, in practice, but that's my that's my you dream. Think, <laughs> you, think, you think you'll be comfortable at 80 degrees with with uh, low humidity plotted on the psychrometric chart. Um, we, you know, the, uh, ASHRAE and, and the ACA manuals tell us that our indoor design temperature in the summer should be 75% or 75 degree dry bulb, 50% relative humidity dew point. That's another thing that uh, I want technicians to start thinking about. Think of humidity less than RH and think about it in dew point because dew points, the actual moisture in the air. Mm-hmm. And when you plot 80 and 45, the dew point is right around the same. It's right there in the low to mid 50s. And that's really where our comfort comes from is um, it's it, RH is important, but dew point is sort of the unsung hero of humidity and comfort that we don't think about enough. Uh, and so um, one uh, resource you can um, look up is uh, Corbett Lunsford. He's got a YouTube channel, Home Performance. He's also got a, a PBS channel, Home Diagnosis TV. And he built like this off the top wall. I mean, he off the wall house with every energy efficiency overkill thing. It's, it's awesome. He built in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been to that house and that's where he, him and his family are comfortable at 80 degrees, 45%. But he put a lot of work into being able to make the building enclosure tight enough where you can keep it at 45 degrees with a standard dehumidifier. You've got to build a tight house in order to do that. I would have to, I mean, if they're comfortable at 80 degrees and then they're comfortable, I would have to be within that envelope at those conditions for like 24 hours and sleep in yeah. it, you know, yeah. sit in it, uh, work around the house in it yep. and, and just see how that fit me. Because I mean, you know, I mean, I'm probably, I don't know how much commercial you've done in your life, but a commercial service, you can show up to a building and there can be two people sitting right beside yep. each other. One is oh, hot, man. One is cold. Yep. The thermostat is is at set point. You're right. like, okay, you take off your sweater. You put one. Yep. You put a sweater on, and the thermostat is the machine's working to to yep. the way it's it's running. We're not redesigning this whole system because you guys can't 
agree on a temperature that's, oh, that's yeah. appropriate for both of you. Yeah, I mean, I cut my teeth in commercial. We used to take care of a bunch of banks, and the uh, thermostat would be in the bank manager's office with the door closed, and he was happy. And you'd have two tellers side by side, and and one is hot natured, the other one's cold natured, and you know, you would just be there. And you're like, I can't do anything about it. So yeah, comfort is a it's a state of mind. It's not a number. It's sort of where is your body comfortable at? I'm going to design the system to maintain 75 degrees and 50 percent, but I want to see whether I can turn that thermostat up and the dehumidifier down and, uh, and whether that makes sense. And that's, but I'm still going to design per the ACA manuals, which is 75 and 50, uh, but I don't have to necessarily keep it there. Awesome. So, yeah. I mean, what, what I'd like to do is as, I mean, in, in a couple of, how, how long is this process going to take the whole build? <laughs> Um, they're telling us seven months from the time they break ground, they're in the permitting process right now. So I would say, you know, we hope to be moved in by maybe October of next year. So, um, I'm going to do my own heating and air conditioning. They, they, um, they sort of made an exception to the rule based on what I told them and, and what they researched about me, that they would let me do it instead of their normal contractor. Well, I mean, and, it's your yeah. house. It's your house. They should let you regardless. Right. Of what you're paying. Well, when you're dealing with a production builder, they have a system and they can build a house, a quality house in six to seven months, but that's because they have a system with no delays. And the problem with a homeowner doing his own work is that he doesn't know what he's doing. Typically. Um, he doesn't understand the scheduling process and he takes longer and that costs them money because they can't recoup their costs until the, the house is actually sold. Yeah. So they took a huge chance by letting me. Um, they their policy is no. Um, and for me, my that was that was going to be a deal breaker for me. But we met yeah. in the middle, and they allowed me to do it. Um, and and we're gonna we're going to make it happen. But yeah, I'll be putting out a lot of content as I go through the whole process. Um, I'm actually going to be putting some content right now on the load calculation process because I've just con concluded that and kind of my equipment selection. And so that'll be just little lessons in the ACA manual J, S, and eventually D when I design the duct system. Um, and little lessons to be learned there. And, and um, I'm going to be I'm going to be including anybody who's willing to listen part of that process. Yeah, cool, man. So one last question. Is yeah. it a heat pump you're putting in to do the heating side of things? Yeah, the um, okay. and really heat pumps are predominant here just because our, our winters are very mild and natural gas is just really for the older, the historic sides of town and, and obviously commercial and industrial facilities. So it was always going to be an air to air heat pump. But even if I if I were to do this process in uh, a colder climate, I would still be putting in a cold climate heat pump or a hybrid system. And I think um, as electrification becomes more of a reality and we take the politics out of it, uh, we're going to see more heat pumps. Um, me, uh, my personal opinion is have hybrid systems. That way, if the heat pump fails, uh, if you need to run a furnace off of a little generator, if the power goes out, you've got that gas option. But then run your heat pump as cold as, as it as it can can operate properly to do that. We don't have to go one extreme or the other, either abandon gas or abandon heat pumps. We can meet in the middle with a hybrid system. It's a nice, um, it's a perfect, perfect middle ground. Yeah, and, and I just want to throw it out there that I've been posting about some heat pump stuff because... I'm in the, the the project's on hold right now, but I'm doing my first full centralized heat pump system, which is a, a Toso. It comes with its own air handler, uh -huh. its it, its own outdoor unit, yeah. And and we're doing um we're doing it with backup um, heat strips, electrical yeah. heat, which which are are not going to be implemented very often. But 
yeah. when I talk about it, people are like, heat pumps can't run in cold weather. There's a, there's a lot of, even from professionals in this industry, mm-hmm. they still don't understand this day and age that we have in this in, incredible technology called inverter technology, and we can yeah. do some crazy things with cold weather climates and heat yes. pumps. And these things can, can uh, keep up to a certain point. Like I think the one I'm putting in is that runs at 80% capacity at, jeez, uh, I think it's like, minus 18 degrees right. uh, Celsius, yeah, uh, which is around like w- four degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Right. And I mean, yeah. our, our design temperature for here in, in Toronto, I believe is, it's either one degree or minus one degree Fahrenheit. I can't mm-hmm. remember the action. It's, mm-hmm. it's one, it's, it's minus one or one, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the heat pump is going to do 80% of the, the, the load at, at those design conditions. And it right. doesn't really hit design conditions very often anymore yeah. um, here at all. Like the, we, we had one cold snap a couple weeks ago where it was, it was a, like a, a bit of a polar vortex that came down mm-hmm. and it was goddamn freezing. But we don't see those very often anymore. Yeah. We might see them once or twice a winter now. Yeah. Yeah, and when you're designing a house, you're not designing it for the worst possible scenario. You're designing it for, uh, like, like if you're using the 99% um, manual J outdoor design conditions, there is only 1% of the whole year that will be colder than that temperature. Yeah, uh, and, that's, and right. that's really what we're designing for. It would be extreme. We'd be oversizing equipment every day of the week if we designed for that uh, once-in-five-year event. Um, a cold-weather heat pump does great, um, and I, I would caution um, HVAC techs to just don't assume every inverter heat pump is a cold-weather heat pump. Oh, yeah, uh, of there's course. Other, uh, there's other technology, and again, these are just lessons learned here. Listening to the wrong people, being too busy to do my own research years ago, I, I did the same thing. I, I got a, a heat pump with inverter technology in that first winter. It could not keep up because I was like, well, I don't need heat strips. This, this thing's going to heat great. And I didn't run, I didn't do the math. I didn't do the research. A cold, a cold weather heat pump also has things like a heater in the base pan of the condensing unit. So that Correct. the water that comes off the coil in defrost mode doesn't freeze and build ice and, and seize your fan up. There's other technology that goes into a cold weather heat pump. So yes, a 14 sear, Eight and a half HSPF um, standard heat pump that we've been putting in for years is not going to work <laughs> in uh, in in cold climates. But a cold climate inverter driven heat pump absolutely can. But use the the ACO or, or other accepted means design process. Uh, make sure that you're sizing the unit. That's ACO manual S. Uh, that you're selecting the unit. You're thinking not only about the cooling performance but the heating performance. And then the what if. You know, what if it gets really, really cold? Does that house have another means? Does it have a fireplace? Does it have another means to just throw a little extra heat in the house just for those what ifs? Um, that's something else to consider if you're helping somebody through a new build process. Yeah. it. You know, I was putting in a furnace for a lady last week and uh, the heat was off all day, but yeah. she was home working and she threw on this, this electrical plug-in heater and man, like every time I would come up from her basement into the, the main floor, it was friggin' like it was hot yeah. up there, man. Like this little plug-in heater was heating her whole main floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's always good for those one-offs, like those every, right. That, that every three, four years where you have these events where you yes. get some crazy cold snaps to have something like that in the house. But like, as you said, it doesn't make any sense to design a system for that one instance every four or five years that you may, you may right. see. 
And part of my business is also addressing the building envelope. So as HVAC professionals, our goal is also to reduce how much HVAC the house needs. So part of our part of my process is, yeah, we can go back with this piece of equipment. But you know what might help you is if we made the house a little more airtight and if we added insulation where insulation is missing. And so that's a different skill set that we're going to have to learn as professionals as we make those recommendations. And as energy costs go up and all these other energy efficiency measures that are being mandated by government start to, to come to effect, don't just address the box, address the, the envelope um, and reduce how much heating and air the house needs anyway. And then when those cold weather events occur, your house is better suited to be able to survive them and not you know, not, not have a, a period of, of low comfort because as contractors, we're still going to get that call. If we have just this killer cold polar vortex uh, and that the unit that we put in that we size correctly per all the ACA manuals, but we're out of design conditions, we're still going to get that call that the unit is not performing when we're out of design. And the more we can do to help the building envelope, the less likely that call is going to take place during those events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said our job is to, I, I can't remember exactly what you said. Our job is to put not, you didn't say less HVAC, but not as <laughs> you said something along those lines. Yeah. Our job is to, well, it, if we it, can, the, the, those, I was going to say those 10 X mm-hmm. guys wouldn't be very happy with you saying that, you know, those 10 X <laughs> guys that, that sell, 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 sell 10 times your, yep. your, your, your current revenue and make 10 times the money. Yeah. We're really doing the, the community a disservice when we approach HVAC from that standpoint. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. We are, we're doing, yeah. we're doing nothing for the customer, but right. taking, taking their money. Yeah. And half of the time when these people are selling something, they have, they have no idea why they've sold it to, to that no. person. They no, got no clue why they've, it's laughable what how little some of these guys know and but they're out there helping people make you know 10 to fifty thousand dollar investments and they they know nothing about the science behind it so um, that's why I am the content that I'm going to be producing uh, from here on out is going to be helping people that are interested that are willing to learn learn with me I am not an expert I'm going to be learning that process but I'm going to be documenting it and and producing content with lessons learned things that I've uh, come across because uh, I think there's in every market there's a few HVAC professionals that want to make that leap but they don't Mm -hmm. know how they don't have the time reading all those manuals and standards they're not it's just it's it's too intimidating for them and but they want to do it and I think all every market needs is just a few people like yourself myself those customers will gravitate towards us and then all the customers that don't do research, that don't know what things should cost, that don't you know really care about their house, the HVAC is just another appliance like their toaster that's here today, throw away tomorrow. Let those companies service them and the customers that are actually pragmatic, well-researched, well-versed, educated customers. Let them have a contractor to gravitate to. And my job is going to be producing content to create those contractors. Um, because I can tell you coming from a world that was that contractor, there's a lucrative business being that guy in that market that everybody, the the ones that are in the know turn to. Um, and so that's why I'm just consuming as much content from industry experts as I can. And, and then I'll be, um, kind of putting it all together and, and doing as much as I can to, to teach the community that's willing to learn. Yeah, and I I just want to touch on I'm gonna let you go because yeah, I know sure. you gotta you gotta run and, and yeah get some I've, I've stuff got a, done, I've got a few I, minutes but yeah I want to touch on something really quick because it's really important what you just said there. There's a lot of people online like let's say somebody does a job and and they use like an expensive uh, 
an expensive furnace or ex- mm-hmm. expensive heat pump. They put in all new ductwork. They, they 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 did a little bit of extra. They put that diamond plate stuff mm-hmm. in the back or right. whatever oh, they yeah. did. Yeah. What, what, whatever they did, right? Just just these little extra things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get the the comments or I see the comments. My customers would never pay for that. My customers would never pay for that. But you're maybe targeting the wrong customers. And right. and one yeah. thing that you do with your marketing is that maybe on a few jobs you you go out and you invest into that job mm-hmm. for marketing purposes mm-hmm. you say okay customer you know what i'm going to do this this and this for you because i, I want to turn this job into a marketing project for us do you mm-hmm. mind and then when you do that and other people see it they're like wow i want that in my house or yeah. i want that in my mechanical room how do i get how do i get a hold of that guy and then when they right. approach you you go okay well this this is not a marketing opportunity anymore. This is this is a chance for me to go back and revamp some of those that money that I lost in making a, 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 the sale yes. for somebody that has the money and wants to pay the money for a good solid project done well. And that's how you kind of build that reputation up. But you yes. have to expose and invest in that kind of project mm-hmm. first. So people can see it and understand what you're all about. Yeah, there's obviously customers out there that are paying for that. Um, you know, of I don't think these is. guys that are like Jeff DM and and Flynn Stommy, these guys are installers. They're not company owners. They're not their customers are 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 they have a customer basis that's paying for that in a of lot of cases. They are, yeah. There are people that trick out cars and trucks and lift them up. Um, down here, we've got in Carolina the Carolina Squat, which is they lift up the front end and they're just, um, but the back end is still stock. And they do these crazy things going down the road. And there's people that do that to trucks. There are also people that want that for their house. They may never see a return on investment, but they just want that. Just like there's people that are interested in doing that cars and trucks. There's people that want that for the house. Don't assume your customer doesn't want the best. You know, you give them options. You let them decide what what option they want. But make sure you include the the best. And there's a lot of people that that's just the way they think. They're like, whatever I get, I get the best. So if you tell me this is the platinum, I'm going for the platinum. But if you only offer me the gold, I'll, I'll, I'll do the gold. But so offer the platinum, <laughs> you know, be that. Oh, exactly. And and yeah. you can, and you can usually tell when you walk into somebody's home or, or building, mm-hmm. if, if they want the best, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying take advantage of these people, of course but not. you can usually tell they want the best. Like if you walk in, I don't, I've been to some homes that we take, we took care of back in the day, commercial customer, but they had a residence and these were usually like the the higher ups of the businesses we'd go take care yeah. of the residents and some of these places were were mansions and you'd walk in and and their their espresso machine was like $25,000 right. sitting on the countertop right. i'm like that guy wants the best right. this guy right here cuz yeah. he ain't drinking espresso out of a a $99 machine from walmart right. He's drinking yeah. out of that stainless steel $25,000 machine. Whether he wants his air to come from a system of equivalent value, who knows, but chances right. are they do. Yeah, some do, some don't. And so what I, I've been telling contractors is do Rolls-Royce work and charge Rolls-Royce prices. But do Rolls-Royce work. Don't charge yeah. exorbitant prices and then give them something substandard or even standard. It's okay to, to be the best and charge like the best, but be the best. And part of being the best is, is you've got to do your research and you got to hone your skills. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, there's a few, if, if any of your listeners are interested in, you know, what, who should I be following? Who should I be listening to books that I should be reading? I sort of just jotted down a little list, 
is it okay if I just run through the list? Oh yeah, for, go, okay. go ahead, shout, shout them out, man. And and most of these people you've already you're already part of your um you've had podcasts with already, but um to to do better HVAC, uh, things like the HVAC School podcast, um you know in, investing in time and listening to that, they're um. You know, of course, we want we want your listeners to stay listening to you. Uh, the HVAC School podcast has guests on there like Jim Bergman, Bill Spohn. They also create their own content uh, using MeasureQuick. MeasureQuick has a lot of training um, uh, resources out there. Um, there's a book that just came out by Allison Bales, A House Needs to Breathe or Does It? Mm-hmm. And that is a great introductory uh, for building science. And so even a, a, a dumb homeowner can read that book and learn a lot. So if you're an HVAC tech, invest in that book, get it um, from Allison Bell's website because there come, there's a, a code that you can put in to save a little money and he'll actually autograph the book also. Um, there's a great practitioner in Ohio called Michael Hausch. Um, he's also part of the circles of, of the HVAC school. Michael is one of the smartest people you ever meet, but he is an HVAC practitioner, uh, has his own small company, but they specialize in high performance work using building science uh, blower doors. Jenry Garcia is somebody that you know, um, Gary. He's out of Miami. Um, he does. Uh, he has a Facebook group, um, I think, called the Comfort Dynamics uh, Facebook group, or um, then they share a lot of ideas. There's a couple also... Um, uh, practitioners, Dustin Cole, Neil Comparetto. If you find them in social media, follow them, pick their brain. That's what I'm doing. Nate Adams, HVAC 2.0. He has a business model that's based around better HVAC. Yep. Um, and then as far as just building, I, I follow uh, Matt Reisinger with the Build Show Network. He's a builder that does a lot of high performance stuff. Um, Corbett Lunsford, Home Performance Workshop, and people like Bill Spohn. He's got a, the Building HVAC podcast. Pop in those podcasts on your way to work on, on when you're on the job working and, and just learn while you work. And, and that's where I'm absorbing my content from. And hopefully I can be an expert like them one day. Awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. your time today, Tim. And thank you, Gary. I, I, I think that with the amount of research that you've put into this, the amount of time and expertise and knowledge, I think your, uh, your house is going to be well sealed. It's going to, it's going to be comfortable and uh, I'd like to hear more about it as as kind of you progress through it. Yeah, there'll be a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of content to come. So thank you. Awesome, man. All right. So as you can tell, guys, Tim has a lot of passion for building science and deep diving into it and learning as much as he can. He's given us some some tips and things that he's doing in his own house. And I hope everybody that is looking to better comfort for their their clients looks down these roads as well. Yeah, it can get more expensive for the client, but if the client is willing to pay for true comfort, there's certain steps you should be taking and certain things you should do. Least least of all, a load calculation. Least of all, a load calculation before you throw something in a home instead of just guessing what it is. Too much oversized equipment out there. And, and I've noticed this big time since I've started doing load calcs. Furnaces and ACs, are drastically oversized because people are worried about them not cooling or heating appropriately enough in in like peak design type instances, right? So load calcs at a minimum. Guys, thank you for listening. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. 
This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.